name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Fellow redeemed, all of Scripture contains two main teachings. The law and the gospel. The law tells us what God demands of each of us. It's his good and gracious will for our lives. And it promises blessings to those who obey it. And on the other hand, it threatens punishment to those who disobey it. The gospel, on the other hand, tells us of God's grace for us in Christ Jesus. All who believe the gospel have what it promises. Forgiveness of sins. Life and salvation. Both the law and the gospel must go together. If one fails or is lost, the other fails and is lost. The gospel doesn't obtain its purpose without the law, and the law doesn't obtain its purpose without the gospel. Now, while law and gospel are inseparably united, we must properly distinguish between the two. Everything we believe, teach, and confess as Christians rests upon the knowledge of these differences. And in today's text, it provides us with a summary of these two teachings of Scripture. The gospel for this day places us at the beginning of Holy Week. In the days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, were anything but peaceful. Through the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Satan was stepping up his assaults on Jesus, tempting him to stumble. First, you have the Pharisees. They plotted to entangle Jesus in his words. In the temple courts, they confronted him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And yet, Jesus was aware of his mouths, their mouths. And he instructs them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Next, Jesus soundly defeats the Sadducees. They didn't believe in life after death, nor did they believe in angels. And their question about marriage at the resurrection was another trap to discredit Jesus, to get him to stumble. Yet they lose when Jesus states that there is no marriage at the resurrection and that God is the God of the living, not the dead. When the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together one more time to test Jesus. And as you heard, one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now the Pharisees, having studied the Hebrew Bible, found that there were 613 commands, both positive commands and negative commands. And they taught and believed that the way to earn God's favor and eternal life was by following these 613 commands. And they would argue over these commandments. Which one was more important? Some Pharisees 
emphasized circumcision. Others emphasized sacrifices. Others emphasized the Sabbath laws. And the test for Jesus was to see if he would elevate one of God's commandments. To see if he would neglect the others. To see if he would fail to uphold God's entire law. So, of these 613 commands, where does Jesus stand? What would he choose? Jesus, however, to their question, doesn't play their game. He went straight to the Bible. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And he also quotes Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is at the center of these commandments. God says, first, you are to love me above all things. Now, why is that? Well, God is love. God alone is our source of life. Apart from that, apart from him, you have no good thing in this life or in the life to come. And so it is that you are to love him because he first loved us. And you love him by calling upon him in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Second commandment, right? You love him by going to where he speaks to you, where he promises to be for you, that is, in his word, in sacrament. Third commandment. Your love for God is to govern everything you think, everything you do, everything you say throughout the day, throughout the week, over the months, throughout your entire lives, until you die. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first in great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whoever loves God, as St. John says, must also love his brother. Now why is that? It's so that the love of God would be directed outside of yourself for your neighbor's benefit. Consider the second table of the law, these other commandments. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Now, why is that? Well, this is how you love them who gave you life. Fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Why is, why is that? Well, that's not what love does. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Why not? Love lives a chaste and decent life in thought, word, and deed. Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. Why not? You love your neighbor more than his property. Eighth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Why not? Well, you love him. You value his reputation as much as you value your own reputation. Ninth and tenth commandment, you shall not covet. Why not? 
You love your neighbor and delight in those ways in which God has blessed him. And so it is that love is the fulfilling of the law, as St. Paul writes in his letter to the Roman. On these two commandments, that is love for God and love for neighbor, depend all the law and the prophets, as Jesus says. Love summarizes God's revelation and will toward us. And perfect obedience to the law of love carries the promise of God's grace and blessing. Now, when we're confronted with the law, we are confronted with this truth. We haven't loved God perfectly. We haven't loved our neighbor perfectly. Our Lutheran confessions put it this way. There is no law that accuses us more, that does more to make the conscience enraged against the judgment of God than this summary of the whole law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so it is that the greatest commandment also reveals our greatest failure, your greatest sin. We're confronted with this deep, unfathomable darkness inside of us that the Bible calls sin. The sinful flesh doesn't want to love God, but hates Him. The sinful flesh doesn't want to love our neighbor, but hates Him. The sinful flesh only wants to live in love for ourselves. Now, I recently heard it put this way. When I'm sitting on the couch watching baseball and I get thirsty, I don't even think about it. I stand up, walk to the kitchen, get something to drink, and go sit down. But if I'm sitting on the couch watching baseball, and my son gets thirsty and asks, Dad, could you get me something to drink? I moan, and I groan, and say, during the next commercial. How true this is, isn't it? Jesus seeks to confront each and every single one of us this day, with what the law of God truly demands. Loving ourselves too much, Jesus would have you repent for the times that you failed to love God. Repent for the times you failed to love your neighbor. As a result, we rightly deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment in hell. Ultimately, seeking eternal life, eternal salvation through the law is in vain. It can't happen. And as long as the sinful flesh clings to us, we can't perfectly love God. We can't perfectly love our neighbor. And so it is, Jesus would have you listen carefully to the question he asked the Pharisees. It's a question that must follow the law. It's a question that reveals for us another doctrine, and that is the doctrine of the gospel. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Everyone knew that the promised Christ would be a descendant of King David. And knowing they would answer in this way, 
Jesus poses to them another question. How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord says to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Here Jesus quotes Psalm 110. And it's in this psalm that David sings about the promised Christ. By the Spirit, David confesses that the promised Christ would be true man. That is, the son of David. And by the Spirit, David confesses that the promised Christ is also true God. That is, David's Lord. The Pharisees were unable to answer Jesus a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him a question. Their view of religion put them in control of God. And now they were confronted with a mystery they couldn't answer, much less control. With all of their rules for human conduct, they didn't know that love was the fundamental duty to God and to neighbor. In ignoring the law, they were ignorant of their own sin against it. They were blinded to their inherent sinfulness. And they were blind to their neighbor or their need for a savior. Yet this is at the heart of our faith. That Jesus is true God and true man. And it's necessary that he's both. As David's Lord, Jesus was able to be born without original sin. He was able to endure all bodily temptations, torments, and sufferings in this earthly life, even death on the cross, without sinning. As David's Lord, Jesus provided a sufficient ransom and atonement for the sin of the world by his death on the cross. As David's Lord, Jesus has the authority to judge and to forgive your sin. As David's Lord, Jesus rules over all of creation in the church. And as David's son, Jesus has a human body and soul. He has human needs and feelings just like you do. As David's son, Jesus fulfilled your obligation to keep the law of love. Not only that, he lived the law of love perfectly for you in every thought, in every word, in every deed. And as David's son, Jesus suffered the just punishment for your disobedience. He died the payment that you deserve. And as David's son, Jesus overcame death so that you too can be raised from the dead. And yet can Jesus, as the Son of God, be present without his body? Well, by all means, no. It's right here in the gospel for this day. David's Lord and David's Son are one in the same. 
Jesus Christ, true God and true man. It's as we confess in the Athanasian Creed. Although he's God and man, he's not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into the flesh, but by the assumption of of the humanity into God. One, altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by the unity of persons. God and man is one in Christ. This is the Catholic, the universal faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. Fellow redeemed, take heart and rejoice. Jesus is the gospel answer to what the law demands. That is, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. He's the gospel answer to the law's demand that you love your neighbor as yourself. He's the gospel answer because in him and in only in him do you receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation. And he gives it to you here in this place through his word of absolution, through his word tied to water, to his word tied to bread and wine. That is his very body and blood. That is the very body and blood of Of the God-man Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel answer. Because in him. And in only in him. Do you receive a new heart. A clean heart. A heart that begins to grow in love toward God. A heart that begins to grow in love. Toward those around you. God be praised. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.